Our scripture passage this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke in the seventh chapter, verses 36 through 50. I'll be reading to you from the New International Version. I invite you to look in your Bibles or to look to the screens. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave, both, he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. So let's, let's begin with the question. What happens when God shows up at your holy gathering? <laughs> what happens? And the next question, next slide. If you invited Jesus to be to your home, and asked him to bring an honored guest with him, would you feel nervous about who he might choose? We're looking at a text out of Luke 7, and in this story, we're told that Jesus is invited to a banquet. Now, when we hear the term banquet, that brings up images for us in our context, but in this particular context, a, a banquet was an invitation for Jesus to come to the house of a religious leader, part of the religious elite, to have a theological discussion. It also tells us that Jesus reclined at the table, which is an indicator that this is an invitation into a discussion. It also tells us that because it's a banquet, it is a public event. So this explains why this woman is allowed to be at the event. In these types of banquets, these types of situations, people would come 
and they would gather around the table to listen in on the theological discussion. So out in a public venue, this is not behind closed walls, not behind closed doors, this is not a private conversation. So then we look at the woman who's been described in the text as a sinner in the city, as another translation says. It's quite a label, isn't it, that's been placed on her. So the question I ask when I'm looking at the story is, how is this woman allowed to be present in the, in the venue where all of these holy men are gathering about to do God's business and about to have a theological discussion of what God is up to in the world. And she breaks in and disrupts the whole thing. So it seems to me that whenever God shows up, a lot of disruption seems to happen in our holy gatherings. And I think one of the problems with our holy gatherings today is that we can explain it. But when we see God show up to a holy gathering, it seems to be inexplicable. People are grabbing for things. They're not quite sure how to make sense of it. But when he breaks into our gathering, something changes in the atmosphere. Something shifts. So in this gathering, there's a holy disruption. And in that holy disruption, what I think Jesus is doing is he's revealing to us yet again, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it looks like when God shows up, everything begins to get dismantled. Wouldn't you love that to happen here at Evergreen? A bunch of dismantling, a bunch of challenges, a bunch of places where we're like, I'm really uncomfortable with this. I don't know what's going on. I can't control this. It's like, oh, maybe God has moved in even closer. That is my hope and my desire for this place, that God would be such a God in this place that he would come in, disrupt, move us in directions so that we can be more passionate in our pursuit of what he's up to in the world. Now, let's go into the setting a little bit more. So we have a banquet, we have a theological discussion, we have a woman who stepped in and disrupts, and we have Simon who is the host of this banquet. So Simon, as the host, has some particular social cues that he needs to follow. And these social cues are a big deal in this context. To miss these certain social cues would be a very shameful thing for a host to do. So the text tells us the social cues that Simon actually misses, and the reason why Simon misses these social cues, I believe, is on purpose. He's doing something. He's putting Jesus in a, in a, on display for people to see what public humiliation looks like. Now, where am I getting this from? If you go back into the text and you look at verse 44, that tells us the first missed social cue that Simon didn't execute when Jesus, his honored guest, came to the banquet. It says in verse 44, you didn't give me any water for my feet. Social cue number one, missed. The host was expected to provide a basin of water for their honored guests because where they lived, it was a dusty environment, dirty feet were not acceptable, and so you had to provide a basin of water for your honored guests when they came in. It was a sign of respect. It was just expected. The second missed social cue that we see is in verse 45. It says, you did not kiss me on the cheek. An honored guest comes into your space, into your event, and you were expected to kiss that honored guest on the cheek as a way of saying we are equals. Welcome to my space, my fellow equal. Again, putting it on level playing ground. 
And thirdly, we know that he missed a social cue because in verse 46 it says, you did not put oil on my head. Another missed social cue. What is going on here? What's happening here is that Simon is showing contempt against Jesus. He's putting Jesus on display for the sole purpose of public humiliation. Now, what is contrasted in the story and what catches my attention is what the woman does. If you'll notice, the woman has all of these actions. She actually shows up to the event with, I think, a kind of a premeditated sense of this is what I'm going to do. Something happened to this woman prior to this banquet. Now, I might be reading into the text a bit much, and sometimes I do that, admittedly so. But I'm wondering, what, like, what, what happened to this woman prior to this banquet that would cause her to go and with complete abandonment and do these kinds of things in the presence of these holy men? Because she washes the feet of Jesus, she kisses the feet of Jesus, she anoints the feet of Jesus, and then she does something really scandalous and she lets her hair down. Now we'll get into that in a moment. So she, the sinner of the city, which is another way of saying she's a prostitute, does all the things that Simon, the religious leader, is supposed to do. She does the very things that Simon was supposed to do in the story. And one of the most striking actions that she does is she takes out perfume and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. Now, for prostitutes, perfume was used to sweeten their breasts and sweeten their bodies. This was a way to keep their customers happy. Prostitutes also hung out in the outskirts of, time. They, of town. They weren't allowed to be in the presence of such holy gatherings like this banquet. They had their place, and the religious people had their space. So this disruption happens in the presence of a holy, sacred space. And yet we see the woman coming in with reckless abandon, and she pours out all of her perfume. In other words, what she's doing is she's pouring out her livelihood. She's pouring out, this is, this is what keeps her going. She's pouring out her livelihood, which then indicates to me as the reader, she doesn't need it anymore. Are you catching this? Like, she doesn't need it anymore. Are you with me? She doesn't need it anymore. That's like amazing to think what, what happened to this woman that she doesn't need it anymore. Some kind of a radical transformation happened inside of the soul of this woman to show up at an event, pour out her livelihood and say, I don't need it anymore because something transformed me from within. So with reckless abandon, she steps in to this rhythm of dancing with Jesus. Now, aren't you struck? by how Jesus doesn't see this as a, a disruption, but he sees this as an opportunity, again, demonstrating this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like when God shows up at our holy events. And the reality is, friends, is that God shows up all of the time, but many times it doesn't fit into our perceived notions of what God is supposed to be like. But many times he shows up and it's like, I, I'm not sure what this is, but there's something going on that's causing a disruption. And maybe in those disruptions, we need to be the kinds of people that learn how to pay attention, that maybe God is showing up. Maybe God is trying to get our attention by pounding on the windows in the back of the sanctuary. Maybe. Maybe God is trying to get our attention 
through the actions of children in their reckless abandon in our holy gatherings. God shows up all kinds of different ways. And what I've learned is that many times God shows up and he ends up looking a lot like people. He ends up looking like daily situations, even in mundane actions. Now, what Jesus is after here is striking to me because he's holding up this woman in the presence of these holy men. And what I think Jesus is doing is he is restoring her dignity. She's been dehumanized, placed outside of the religious system. She's not allowed to be in the presence of such holy men or in the house of God. And Jesus is restoring her. And one of the most striking things in the story is in verse 38, where it says, the woman let down her hair and she began to dry the feet of Jesus. Now, this is really scandalous, friends. If this happened in our presence, we would be horrified as religious people. Absolutely horrified. According to Jewish law, if a woman let down her hair in the presence of someone who was not her husband, her husband had the right to divorce her. And she lets down her hair. A woman only let down her hair in the presence of her husband as a way of saying, I'm ready to be intimate with you. Do you see how scandalous this is? She lets down her hair in public, and Jesus sees this disruption as an opportunity. Oh, I'm stepping into this. Have you ever noticed how easily offended religious people are? How we just get up in arms, don't we? We get so easily offended. And yet here's Jesus who sees this disruption as something holy and sacred going on, as an opportunity to show us this is what the kingdom of God is like. Now, Simon, probably a lot like many of us, in verse 39, he steps into this thing deeper, and he says, if this man were a prophet, oh, if he were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is. Now, touching him, this is, a, this is loaded, friends. This is a loaded accusation. It's a I think it's even beyond a judgmental spirit. This is like what I would call a fault-finding spirit. Are you familiar with this spirit, the fault-finding spirit, in which we just find these things in people and we're quick to jam those things back into the world, this kind of spirit that, that rots us from the inside, this judgmental fault-finding spirit. And yet Jesus doesn't let that dictate how things are gonna go for this woman, and he steps into the story even deeper. And in verse 44, this, this really catches me. It says that after Jesus goes to this parable talking about forgiveness, it says, he turned towards the woman and said to Simon. Now, doesn't that strike you as odd? He's like, he turns to the woman and he starts to talk to Simon. Like, Jesus is extremely intentional. It's not like Jesus is, like, confused as to who is who. But he's doing something here extremely significant. He looks at the woman he begins to talk to Simon, and he says, listen, this beautiful daughter of God, this princess, this beautiful woman created in the very image of God, she has not stopped washing my feet since I've got here. She's been kissing my feet. She's been anointing my feet with her livelihood, and she's let down her hair. Everything that Simon withheld in the story, she is, she is compensating for his lack. Isn't that amazing? 
Everything that Simon was supposed to do, this woman steps in and says, I actually get it. I know who this person is. Something changed and transformed me that has invited me to step into this dance of reckless abandon. And Jesus is like, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. And when I gather in my holy spaces in what we call a sacred building, we see God coming in, disrupting. And what Jesus is doing here is he is restoring this woman's dignity, restoring her humanity. And then we see Jesus doing the same to her and then her back to him. Do you see what's going on here? It's like a mutual love between the two of them. Instead of seeing this as a shameful event, Jesus identifies that there's something going back and forth. She's loving me. I'm loving her. That's what happens when God shows up and disrupts our holy events. There's like a flow that happens, a dance that happens that we step into of mutual love. Here's this person who Simon seeks to undo, keep her on the outside. Jesus brings her into the center. Here's Simon who seeks to do the same thing to Jesus, push him on the outside, discredit him, publicly humiliate him, and the woman meets him in the middle, and they're both stepping into the dance of following the Spirit together. There's something magical that happens when two people come together in mutual love and respect and honor and step and fully participate in the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like when God shows up at our parties. My question is this. Is this how we see God? And are we ready for God to step in and disrupt our holy gathering? Are you with me? Are we open to that? Are we ready? Do we want that? Holy Spirit, come and disrupt our holy gatherings. Challenge us, make us uncomfortable. Now this morning, we're going to do something that might make some of you uncomfortable. And my suggestion to you would be, if it makes you uncomfortable, pay attention to that. Try to figure out what's going on inside of me that's causing this. Shannon and I have the privilege of being friends with Patrick and Jalene Cook. We've known these two for a long time. They are absolute joy. And they're going to come, and they're going to do a dance for us. And in this dance, what I want you to look at is I want you to see what mutual love looks like between two people who have decided to step in and participate in what God is doing in the world. So Patrick and Jeline, would you come and would you show us in dance, in movement, this is what God looks like when he shows up at our holy gatherings. Will you take a moment and pray with me? Jesus, we want, we want you. We just want you. We want more of you, less of us, and yet somehow more of us engaged with you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, into this space, into this community to disrupt, to challenge, to make us uncomfortable. Would you please be so kind as to make us uncomfortable? Would you challenge us? Would you help us step fully into the dance 
with complete and reckless abandon, open and ready to receive whatever you have for us, Holy Spirit. Direct us, change us from the inside out, help us to be people who are courageous enough to say yes to you every day. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. What we have been about here today is not separate from our life. Rather, these acts have been a reminder that we belong to Christ everywhere we go, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our schools, everywhere. All our relationships should have Christ at the center. We are Christ's people, and by God's grace, let it be so from now on. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life abundantly. Go in peace today and always, and may your abundant life in Christ overflow with joy and thanksgiving this week and always. Go in peace. Amen.